Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Native Americans have lived in North America for over 13,000 years. Today, there are about 500 tribes that still celebrate their heritage. Their culture is rich in tradition and spiritual beliefs. For instance, traditional healing treatments such as um, herbal remedies, allopathic medications, smudging, and several others play an integral role in maintaining the health and wellness within the Native American communities. To tell us more about it, I invited Asha Frost. Asha Frost is an Anishinaabe Obichwe medicine woman, healer, and spiritual mentor. She facilitates healing in her practice through the use of shamanic healing, homeopathy, and indigenous-based ceremony. As a soul seer and visionary, Asha believes that we can all reclaim our roots and deepest medicines. In this interview, Asha is going to tell us about Native American healing methods and how they can help us cure various issues. She'll also offer insight into aspects of Native American cultures, such as animal spirit guides and ancestor worship. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hi, Asha. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's so nice to meet you and be here. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you too. Uh, I've been wanting to speak with a uh, Native American person for the longest time and like a real one, you know, uh, somebody who truly embodies uh, your beautiful culture and your traditions. And you are certainly that person. Well, thank you for seeing me. Well, and also, you know, my platform is named after, you know, a Native American artifact, the Dreamcatcher, because I've been fascinated with uh, your traditions for a really long time. So I'm really looking forward to uh, speaking more about it. Okay, so Asha, let's, let's start by getting to know you a little bit better. You spent a major part of your life trying to reconnect with your heritage. Uh, in the book, you write that uh, due to colonization, uh, marginalization, and oppression, you were disconnected from your roots. So tell us about your journey. Yeah, so um, my grandparents were in residential school, and my, my, both my maternal Parents and then my, my paternal mother were in residential school. And in, in Canada, in what is known as Canada right now, it was um, a place where they were trying to strip the Indian out of the child. So they were trying to take any medicine, any connection, language, um, all of our culture and strip that away as much as they could. 
um, through really abusive means. So the sad thing about that is it has a huge impact on the generations to come. And as a result of that, and then the inherently racist um, ideas of Canada, my my parents, you know, they chose sort of a different way. They wanted to kind of choose a way, maybe not living on the reserve. So we had this energy of like assimilation. I think many folks can re- relate to that, just um, wanting to fit in, wanting to assimilate. So my childhood was spent, I live north in Toronto. I still live there, um, here. And um, yeah, it was a little bit disconnected from those original teachings and medicines because of that trauma. So I, even though my mother was very, she always taught our Anishinaabe way. She always held space for that. She always um, talked about our ancestors and all of creation. Um, we still didn't grow up um, with that as our primary way of learning and being. So it wasn't until I got really sick, then something opened up where I remembered and realized that my ancestors had this medicine that I needed to remember and relearn and reclaim. And, um, but that didn't happen till later in my life. So it's been a constant journey of continuing to do that and even feeling worthy to, to be here and to share those things has been a really big journey. Wow. That's powerful. And how old were you when you, um, had the illness? Like you, I think you were in your uh, late teens, right? If if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I was 17 when I was diagnosed. Um, yeah. But then I got really sick when I was in university. That's when it, it sort of really flared up because of the stress of that time. And that's when everything really started to become clearer, I guess, that I needed to return to some of those. I mean, I always felt it. I always saw spirit as a child. They would show up in my room. I could feel that in my bones. We all do, right? But it was just, there were things covering covering that up or suppressing that that sort of fell away when I got sick and my body started to, to crave that knowing and it started to inform me in different ways. Okay. And was there any shame about being a native American uh, when you were younger? Yeah. I was one of the only indigenous people in our school. The oh, other ones were yeah. My cousin. Yeah. So um but I didn't really identify as that outwardly, right? Because I knew that there was a part of me that somehow knew that it wasn't okay to be Indigenous in this country. So definitely, there was shame. There was shame, yeah. Uh, but then, uh, and then, but then after the illness, you got curious about it and something, and you started getting more, uh, you know, open to exploring what your uh, traditions are all about and really learn more about your roots. Yeah, I could say that. I mean, I think it was always in there. I think it was more also like curious about the trauma and how to heal through the trauma and why, what was keeping me away from that? Um, why, why did I not feel like I wanted to be part of that? You know, and, and that's part of the shame. It's like, but again, it's not my shame. Like it's not, it wasn't my fault. It was really like the systems at play, um, here in this country. So I also had to come to terms with that of not, internalizing that or feeling like somehow I had to fix it all. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, thank you for sharing that. Thank, you know, I'm sure a lot of people identify with that on some level, especially uh, minorities, um, in, you know, in the country for sure. Um, so let's talk about your book, Asha. It's, it's titled, you are the medicine and you just briefly mentioned that, uh, you know, you're, you were called to share your medicine by your, by your ancestors. Can you clarify 
what you mean by medicine for all of those who have not read the book yet. So I think that we all understand the word medicine coming from maybe the medical community or the allopathic side of things of it being Mm -hmm. a substance that is going to help to heal us or cure us even. Um, So the way that I see it, and this comes from being a homeopath for 15 years, is um, I would see people's sort of own healing abilities come forward when I give a remedy or when they'd speak to me. And it felt like that same energy of something within them that was going to help them to heal themselves. Mm -hmm. And to me, medicine is that. It's that vital force that we all carry. Um, It's the presence you carry on this earth. And also, I believe that all parts of creation have a medicine. So, um, you know, the stones, the water, the air, the rocks, the, the animals, the plant beings, they all carry a certain vibration that I believe can bring us to a remembering of how to heal. So yes, I still believe allopathic medicine is medicine. And I believe that we all do still carry a frequency that can be medicine, as does all of our creation and all of our kin. Thanks for explaining that. Um, so is it similar to chi and prana? Have you heard those terms? Yeah, I would say the vital force, like from a homeopathic perspective, is is exactly the same as chi or prana. Okay, okay. All right. Um, and you believe that all of us ha- have this capacity within us to to heal from within. I do. I I believe that mostly because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen, I've been through really bad flare-ups um, with lupus where I wasn't able to walk or bend my fingers. For like I could have bent my fingers or right for about four or five months, I remember once. Wow. Um, I was able to bend my elbows or walk up the stairs. Like I've just been through many things where I know that um, there's hope and I've, and I've healed. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm cured, but I've definitely healed through those episodes or those moments in life. And then I've seen that in thousands of beings I've sat in front of. I've seen them dig deep and just have that remembering that they have that amazing healing capacity in themselves. And I mean, in all those I've seen, I believe it to be true. So yeah, I think we all do. And this is, this would, uh, work with all kinds of conditions or only certain, only certain types? I don't know. I guess I, I believe we do have that ability to heal. And in the same breath, I don't, I also think that um, there can be a disconnect in the wellness industry around feeling like we did something wrong or it's our fault or that shaming that can come even from like something that is innocent as like, you're not um, eating an alkaline diet enough, or you're not, you need to have more smoothies or green juices. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's that narrative that somehow you're broken and you're yeah. the one who caused that, or even you've, your mindset, you've, th- you've thought this illness into being. Sure. Um, I don't think there's a lot of, I don't think that that can really provide the healing that we need. So I think there's different layers. And I also think if somebody doesn't heal, um, again, Again, there's different factors. I don't think there's, I don't think blame or shame should kind of come into that. But from my experience, I've seen healing happen for many conditions. Great, great. And can you please share some of the healing modalities that are prevalent in the Native American tradition? I know that there are, there are a lot of them, but can you just share a couple of them with us, please? Okay. I, I don't know if we would see them as treatments necessarily. I probably like ceremony and um, ritual is a really important part of Indigenous culture. Yeah. Um, so different ceremonies, um, such as like sweat lodge or fasting or 
um, vision questing. Um, there's definitely a number of ceremonies that Indigenous people practice mm-hmm. um, that are traditional to our ways and aren't always um, as accessible now, especially during COVID. But um, those are sort of traditional things that we have practiced. But I believe that ceremony can be brought into everyday experience. I believe that um, even taking a breath can be ceremony or standing on the earth can be ceremony. So I don't always think it has to be this like huge, big, um, I don't know, huge, big thing where we have to have the exact tools and the exact proper, you know, clothing and all of that. I think that ceremony can be in the moments as well. Okay. You know, like smudging and things like that. I know that's used to like cleanse the air, um, in a certain space, um, things like that. Does that all, is that all part of the healing process? Yeah, you would use, I mean, you would use smudging for a variety of reasons, for sure. So smudging is a ceremony. Um, oh, so that ceremony. is a ceremony. Yes, yes. Okay. Smudging is a ceremony that um, we use often as Indigenous people. We um, we use it for cleansing spaces, for cleansing ourselves, for cleansing our families, um, yeah. for opening a ceremony. It's definitely something that is used every day um, in that way. So I'd say that you could see that as a tool, but I, I would say it's more of a ceremony for sure. Um, I mean, there's definitely different different tools. Your your podcast is called the Dreamcatcher podcast. So that would yeah. be, uh, again, I think I would see that as a medicine, like Dreamcatcher medicine um, is a medicine that helps us with our, during our nighttime dreaming. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that weaving of that spider web is like so powerful in our understanding of um, that connection to all of life as well. Mm-hmm. And drumming too, right? That's another one. That's another. Drumming is a way. Yeah, drumming connects us to the heartbeat of the earth. Um, drumming helps us to remember um, our own heartbeat. You know, our own heartbeat. And then I believe when we play that drum, we remember that we're connected to each other's hearts as well. So there's different types of drumming. The drum that I play is like a, a let's say, a woman's drum, um, and there tends to be like folks who identify as, as male sitting in like a circle and they have like the big drum and they play those at powwows. Um, and there, if you've heard, if you've been to a powwow and you've heard the drums, you know that it brings you back to this really powerful place within yourself. Like I always cry when I walk into a powwow and what is that. a powwow? What is a powwow? The powwow is um, a celebration. It's a celebration of um, indigenous culture and anyone can, I mean, here in Canada, anyone can go to a powwow in the First Nations. Um, it's usually like a, a, they have beautiful crafts that people have created and foods, some traditional foods that we eat. Um, so it really is a celebration of our culture. Oh, beautiful. So what are some traditional foods? Well, every um, First Nation would have different foods because of based on the land that we live on. I'm on the Anishinaabe and Karawendat and Haudenosaunee lands, and that's where mm-hmm. my all my ancestors are from, which is now known as Ontario. So many um, wild game meats. So mm-hmm. venison. My mom would make venison stew or moose stew. Um, oh, moose stew, really? Okay. Um, or wild rice is a traditional food. Um, okay. Things that we like wild blueberries, you know. Um, things that you'd get from the land really are, are beautiful foods. And then something that's more, I wouldn't say more modern, maybe when the, the settlers came over is a, a something called bannock and it's like a fry bread. Um, and that's a, that's a really yummy traditional food that we say is traditional. I'm not sure how long it, it went back, but, um, it's a yummy food that I always like to eat, eat at a powwow. Nice. 
Nice. I'm, I'm definitely going to keep that in mind if, uh, if I go to a powwow. Um, okay. One aspect of American traditions that uh, really uh, fascinates people is uh, animal spirit guides, right? Uh, everyone likes to talk about who their animal spirit guide is. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and you talk about it in the book as well. So tell us about it. Like what, 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 what is the whole premise of, of having an animal spirit guide and uh, how can we find out what our, what our animal spirit guide is? Yeah, well, um, the way that that started that investigation or that um, activation was I was sitting with my clients in my late 20s and I would see animals around their energy. So they would come in spirit and I would wonder why, why is that horse coming or why is that owl coming? And it would happen more and more. So I would start to speak it out loud and say, you know, there's an owl spirit here for you. What do you think that could mean? And then I did some shamanic training work and we actually kind of delved deep into journeying with animals. And I realized, oh my goodness, like my clients already have these around them. So let me really explore this. And animals had always come in my dreams, always had come in my dreams. So I started to understand they were a really um, important part of our understanding and from the way I see it, it's like a, a messenger, a being that helps us remember who we are, maybe parts we've forgotten. Um, these animals come in to, to help us understand those parts and maybe even help us understand our medicine better. So, you know, I know different people have different understandings. And there's many Indigenous people that say that you can't have an animal spirit if you aren't Indigenous. That's not oh, my experience. Okay. Um, that's not my experience um, because yeah. I've seen it with non-Indigenous people, but there are, it's a very, um, in, it's a very important thing to be respectful about and not use it in a joking term. Like that was a big hashtag for a while. Um, I know. Your- I know. So that's um, a really, that's a really important thing to start with, I think, is to not use it in like a reduce it to a meme or a hashtag. And yeah, they are, there are kin, there are siblings, there are relatives. Like that's the way that I treat these animal beings. I believe we all have an animal spirit that comes with us into this life that is um, helper to help us kind of uncover one of our deepest life lessons or our biggest wounding that will keep popping up. Like mine is a deer and it's always with me. And then we have animals that come in and out of our lives based on the cycles that we go through. So, um, I think that sometimes they come in just even across our path. Like, you know, if you see a deer or an owl or something, we think, oh, that's a medicine that's for me right now. So they can come in our dream time. And then my favorite way is to come through a journey and doing like a, like a guided journey and just seeing mm-hmm. what on that guided journey. That's usually the way that my clients receive their animal. When they go on a journey, you mean when they're, when they do a trip or something? Like when they're, you know, like when they do like a guided journey with me. Oh, guided journey. Okay. Okay. Right. I've always thought that my spirit guide is a spider. I don't know why. Intuitively, I've always felt that. But the thing is, I am terrified of spiders. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, how can I be terrified of my animal spirit guide? You know, so um, I don't even know if it is my guide, but intuitively, I, I feel that it is because I keep seeing it um, in pretty seminal moments in my life or when I'm, you know, when I really need some guidance. So, could that be the case? Like if, if you feel an intuitive pull towards a certain animal, could that be your spirit guide? Yes, definitely. And especially the fear part, because I think that sometimes 
the animal being that comes as like a shadow aspect of ourselves that we're not really what ready to see or look ah. into. So I might, mm. if the fear, I might ask, like, where are the shadow parts that I'm not wanting to see right now? Got How does it. spider bring forward for you? I mean, it's interesting in our, in our, um, create or our stories, like the dream catcher is that the spider wove that web. So the fact that you're using the dream catcher as your podcast name <laughs> makes spiders around you. I didn't even know that the spider, you know, uh, created the dream catcher. Like I, I didn't even know that. So yeah, that's something I'm going to look into. <laughs> um, okay. So what is the best way to find out? Like besides our intuitive abilities, is there any other way we could find out which animal can guide us during different uh, eras of our life? Yeah. I mean, as I said before, I think like a guided journey is really a really. Oh yeah. Yeah. You said that. Right. Okay. That. Yeah. I think that's like one of the, but then also like you're, I think don't discount your intuition. Don't discount when an animal crosses your path. Like all of those things are ways in to see where the yeah. animal. Yeah. There are also a lot of um, Oracle cards, animal spirit, Oracle cards. I don't know. Are, are those helpful at all? Well, yeah, I think everything can be helpful, right? So I yeah. think like um, with the Oracle decks, I, I'm creating an Oracle deck. It's coming out next. Um, next oh, are you? Okay. Um, and I'm okay. excited. About that. So, but I think, so I think in a, for a daytime guidance, so say you wanted, you have an animal spirit deck and you're asking, what's my guidance for today? What's the animal? Um, it might be like a moment, but I don't know necessarily if you're like, what's my animal guide? In general, you pick a card. I don't know how deep that's going to go. Yeah, but I do. yeah, no, that's yeah. Okay, great. And another another aspect of the, the Native American tradition I want to talk about is, um, you know, the the role that ancestors play play in in our healing journey. Um, can you say more about that, please? Yeah, well, I think that our ancestors are really, really important. They they create, they're made of the fabric of our, of our existence, right? They're in our DNA and our blood and our bones. And I think they dreamed us here. So to not acknowledge the past or not acknowledge like who, who dreamed us here, I think is missing a huge part of our identity. So I think yeah. connecting to that is really important. And I also think our ancestors uh, went through a lot. So if you have, um, if you have history of trauma to your ancestors, you are carrying that too. And perhaps you're a chosen one to break some of that cycles and, and move it into healing, which a lot of the folks in my communities are. That's the work that they're here to do. Um, and that can be family trauma or ancestral trauma. So I think knowing and knowing that they even exist and acknowledging that they're there behind you and with you is really important. Plus, I mean, for me, they are probably my, uh, my huge presence of spirit guidance, like the ancestors are, the, are those that I go to the most for guidance along with the animal beings. Um, so I think that they can be like a support system to help you know that you're not alone. Um, and also they, I think they're cheering for us. Like, I think when we dream something, it could have been something that they weren't able to actualize in their lifetime. And maybe we are, so we could also be like that little seed of like potential of what they saw for us. And we're the ones that are living it out. That's how I experience them. I know it's a very like, I think individual connection to our ancestors, but that's what I see. Oh, that's beautiful. And how do you connect with them? For me, I mean, all I need to do is close my eyes because I've connected so many times with them. But I say to develop a better connection, like I do little prayers before bedtime and say, if you have messages for me tonight, 
Um, I tend to connect to them in the shower because the the water is a conduit for their messages. So especially ones who have recently passed, like my grandparents um, who wish to come down from the spirit world and give me messages, I find the shower a great conduit. But really it's quiet, like quiet time on my walks, um, putting some medicine down, burning some medicine. Those are the times where I feel them really close, especially that smudge we're talking about. When I light a smudge, I feel them instantly there. Um, and and can this work for uh, people who didn't know their ancestors? Oh, yes, I think so. Like that tends to be people that I work with too, is that they're like, I don't know anything about my ancestors. I have no idea about the stories or the practices they they offered or anything, the foods they ate. I do think you do know. I, I would question that. Like there's somewhere inside of you that does know. And you know, when you meet somebody, you think I've known them before, or you're in even you're in another tradition or ceremony and you feel like I have a deep connection to this in some way. I do think that that that's like a, a sign that your ancestors have done that. So I think that like we gather little clues sometimes and that really strong knowing or when tears come to our eyes, like that remembering, I think that that leads us to some of that ancestral wisdom that we carry anyways. We don't always have to have it written down or, you know, or somebody told us, I think sometimes we have the story within us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important to, to, you know, respect our elders and th- those have gone before us because now our, our culture, our society is youth obsessed, right? I mean, people don't, don't really look to older people for guidance anymore. And I think that's really unfortunate because uh, I think there, the kind of wisdom that comes from life experience is not, you can't get that from reading a book. Yeah. So I think, uh, I, I think, this uh, Native American, the, the beliefs about respecting our elders and our, our ancestors is, is really, really important and uh, relevant to our times. Me too. Asha, a big part of your book touches on the importance of, um, as you say, appreciating Native American traditions and not appropriating them. Uh, in fact, you wrote a letter addressing uh, this issue directly. Uh, which I thought was uh, very well written, by the way. So tell us more about that letter and and your your thoughts about about this this issue. Yeah, so that letter was as a result of years and years of kind of holding something back. And I think it was, as we're talking about the ancestral trauma that lives in our bones, that's where where it came from. It would vibrate or I'd feel it in my you know my nervous system. Um, and I didn't I couldn't put words to it until I could. And one of my friends said, like, you need to write this out. You need to write this out to share it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is a big truth to share. And I'm going to lose a lot of people in my life. because I know that was very brave. Yeah, that was very brave. And I read like, whoa, yeah, she went there. <laughs> yeah, and I, but I also <laughs> felt like if I didn't go there, I would get sicker. Like I thought, what am I sacrificing by not speaking this? I'm sacrificing yeah. my health. You have to be in integrity with, with yeah. what you believed, yeah. And my children, you know, I think about my children yeah. and I think I want them to walk without that, without mm-hmm. that in them. So I wrote it and it was, um, and I shared in the book, like, cause I, I wrote it not thinking it was going to go viral and it did. Like, oh, it did it go viral? Yeah. I got shared over, over like 20,000 times. And oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> huge disruption. So, and so I really I hit a chord. It really hit a chord that meant, you know, it did, and yeah. I think like, 
after the fact, um, I, I shared this the other day, I couldn't go into my inbox for about two years by myself because there were so many people that were angry. Um, oh and my gosh. I can't go, I can't go in there. So, um, I mean, a lot of people were really supportive as well, but of course the angry ones always stand out. So it was a big thing to happen and I don't yeah. think I was ready for it. To go uh, but I it. applaud you. I applaud you for your courage. Cause when I read it, I was like, Whoa, that could rock the boat. <laughs> yeah, I did. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, t- t- tell us more about this because it seems like it was, um, uh, was a constant um, sentiment that you experienced. So it seems like it's very important to you that 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 people know this and that they that they respect the traditions and the way it's supposed to be respected. Yeah, I think for me it's just about reverence. It's about reverence and also knowing the whole truth. In that letter, I say like, if you want to take the beautiful things, the dream catchers and the feathers and the all of those things, then. Can you sit with the the darkness and the shadow and the truth of our country being a racist country? Can you sit with the fact that many Indigenous people don't have clean water to drink or that there's many Indigenous women that go missing and get murdered? Like, can you sit with those truths? Many people don't want to. They want to look away and they say, well, I just want to use my smudge, right? And it's so harmful. <laughs> for, it's so harmful yeah. for the... Um, the indigenous people in our country and beyond to just take what you want because yeah, the glamour, the glamour of it. Yeah. And so much has been taken. So much has been taken. Like, as you can see all of that Indian being scrubbed from the child and my grandparents, like that impacts me and my children. So for you just to take something, you don't have that trauma and use it um, is just very harmful. So that's when I wrote this book, I needed to have that as the as the rooted part of it, because there's so many of our teachings that are co-opted by white, by white women. Um, and they take, and they make tons of money off of it. Um, I've noticed that. I've noticed that. Yeah. We don't get to do that. So there's a lot of inequity, um, in these conversations. And I hope my book is a little starting point for people to see. Okay, Asha, I mean, I, I really, really want to thank you for making the time to be here and sharing your wisdom with us and giving us a little glimpse of your, um, of, you know, the world of uh, Native Americans. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to connect. Uh, so for anyone who's interested in learning more about Asha's new book, You Are the Medicine, you can find it in all major bookstores. And if you want to learn about her services, please visit asharfrost.com. Asha, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.